0: What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra.
1: What's going on, everybody? Other half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin here. <sighs> it's a good Thursday, man. It is Ke- a good Thursday,
0: Kevin. Kevin, how are you feeling after the Colts just beat that ass against the Jets?
1: I mean, it could have been better, but I feel good that we got a win. A win is the most important thing. But being the perfectionist that I am, I uh, I am not happy with how the second half went.
0: But I do have to ask, you know, after the debacle that happened last week against the Titans, did Frank Reich make some sort of improvement with his play calling against the Jets? I mean, you
1: tell me. Jonathan Taylor had 172 yards.
0: and Carson had a good game too. But but
1: Jonathan Taylor had
0: 172 cooked, bro. yards. <laughs> bro, I have him on fantasy. He cooked, bro. But That's all that matters that, to me. That, that'll be one of the topics – uh, that we'll start the episode with. But uh, just to kind of give you guys the rundown real quick, uh, we'll talk about the Colts game. Um, the Colts did a number on the Jets, winning pretty convincingly. I know the score doesn't really reflect that, but this game was pretty much well out of reach, getting like towards like the middle of the third quarter. After that, we'll dive into some of the featured games of Week 9. So the first game that we'll go over will be an AFC North battle that will feature the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns after that we will talk about the Packers and Chiefs game this game is going to be a little bit different than what we were currently or what we were expecting earlier in the week uh, because Aaron Rodgers tested positive for COVID so he will not be able to play in this game they will have Jordan Love starting in place of him and then we will wrap up the NFL games for the week with the Sunday night matchup that will feature the Tennessee Titans and the Los Angeles Rams both teams have been on huge winning streaks of late but Titans do kind of have a caveat attached to that because Derrick Henry is going to be out for the foreseeable future after he had surgery on his foot after the Colts game last week. And then we'll transition into some NBA topics. We'll talk about the ongoing situation that has the Suns owner embroiled in some controversy. ESPN put out an article, I believe yesterday, talking about uh, Robert Sarver, I think that's the guy's name. I know it's Sarver is his last name. He is the owner of the Suns and ESPN published in a pretty lengthy article on his tenure as the owner for the Suns over the last 15 to 20 years. Uh, Kevin and I will kind of dive into that. We'll kind of give our opinions on that. And then after that, we will finish up the episode with some of the rule changes that we've seen in the NBA so far. And just the effects in the games that we've seen from it so far, we've seen some players kind of be vocal about it and they're not getting the calls that they were used to getting back just a year or two ago. But uh, Kevin and I will wrap up the episode uh, with that topic in regards to the NBA rule changes, but that's the episode that we have for you guys. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into this episode so we will go over the the Colts game so Kevin you know the Colts did an absolute beating against the New York Jets in this Thursday night matchup I just have to ask you since you are the Colts fan here just how impressive was this win over the New York Jets in your mind
1: so I'm not really looking too much into the opponent I'm looking into the fact that we got a win um obviously three and five to start the year was not the ideal record we were going for no team expects to be under 500 uh just about halfway through the season um of course we still are under 500 at four and five even with the victory we put up 45 points on offense which is great um obviously the offense looked absolutely incredible on both sides in terms of running the ball and throwing uh but i'm just looking at the number on the defense man uh, we gave up 20 points in the second half granted i know at one point it was 42 to 16 um in the third quarter so i'm not necessarily infuriated but i knew i do know that iberflus was just trying to you know play it safe keep everything in front of him not trying to give up the big play i understand we play a majority of his own uh for the entirety of the game but when you really go and look at it and the way that our defense kind of kind of took their feet off the gas pedal. I mean, the pass rush seemed to kind of like settle down Um, their second string, excuse me, their third string quarterback in Josh Johnson found ways to kind of carve up our defense, and he threw the ball for three seventeen and three touchdowns, well over a 60% completion percentage. He was absolutely carving it up. And right before he came in, um, obviously Mike White, the, you know, talked about Jets quarterback from all of last week, or should I say all of this week, uh, he came in and he absolutely lit it up as well. So not looking good on the passing defense on our side. We kept the rush defense pretty solid under 100 yards in terms of for in terms of keeping the the Jets uh, under 100. But I'm happy we got the W. Frank must have heard my video because holy shit, 172 yards on the ground for Jonathan Taylor, over 270, I think over 260 or something or 270 for the Colts as a team between Naim Hines. Uh, Jonathan Taylor and Carson Wentz, which is great. It just goes to show what everything I said is the truth. Run the ball, we win football games. It's literally that simple. I know Jonathan Taylor had the majority of his uh, rushing yards coming off of 178-yard touchdown. But if you take away 78 from 172, that's still 90-some-odd yards of rushing before that big run. So Jonathan Taylor was doing his thing. Uh, so overall, happy with the victory. We can be better. We can do better. We're still we're coming back from injury on the defensive side. Kari Willis was just put on IR. Obviously, um, Julian Blackman's out for the year with the torn uh, Achilles. Um, I mean, we just continue to lose corners left and right, literally. I mean, I think Xavier Rhodes left, left this game as well. Taekwon Lewis is out for the season with a knee injury. So, I mean, we've legitimately just been rotating bodies at this point, picking uh, players and veterans up off of the wire and kind of uh, almost like a fantasy football team. So we will see what happens to go forward for the rest of the year. We have a okay schedule coming up. I know that we play the Bucks coming up soon as well as the Bills next week. So it's going to be a tough schedule for the next month or so. But um, if we continue to play offense the way we have, I think the defense will get better as time goes on. And uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of it.
0: Bro, I'm not even the Colts fan, and I'm more excited about this win than you are. You know, granted, they're coming off of a really tough loss against the Titans just a couple days ago where they seemingly had control of the game, but they just found a way to let it slip. And, I mean, Jesus Christ, they got it into full gear tonight. I mean, Kevin, that first-half performance that the Colts had was nothing short of perfection. I mean, four drives in the first half, and they scored four touchdowns on all of them. I mean, Jonathan Taylor was an absolute beast the entire night. I mean, even Naheem Hines, he got the game rolling for the Colts with that nice 35-yard run to put them up 7 nothing. You know, Carson had a great game. You know, he was relatively efficient with his passes. You know, he had three touchdowns, almost 275 yards passing. But, Kevin, I got to be honest with you. The real MVP from that game against the Jets was that offensive line. That offensive line was outstanding the amount of double teams that they were getting, they were just blocking those perfectly. Not only were they winning the line of scrimmage, they were dominating. It's one thing to to win your double team to possibly get it into the second level of the defense. They were pushing the guy that they were double teaming past the linebackers, like six, seven yards back. I mean, when you're able to get that type of push from your offensive line, it just opens up those run lanes for Naheem Hines, Jonathan Taylor, and it makes it so much easier for them to be able to be successful running the football. And that was really where I thought the Colts just absolutely dominated the entire game. They won the game up front offensively and the jets had no answer for whatsoever. And, you know, when I look at Frank Reich, you know, coming off of the tumultuous week that he had, as far as his play calling went, against the Titans. I thought he did a masterful job tonight with the play calling. They did a great job of running it. They definitely did a nice job at integrating solid pass plays. I thought they got the good play action uh, pass plays working really well. Uh, there was one play in particular where the Jets were just loaded in the box. This was kind of like in the third or fourth quarter. They're expecting a, a run from Jonathan Taylor. Carson just whips it out with the uh, with the play action pass, and he just hits Mo alley Cox on the flat and ends up getting like a 20, 25 yard reception out of it, Uh, bro. Like all in all, I thought that the Colts, they showed up tonight and granted they needed to, because had they lost this game, I I know you as the Colts fan, you would have probably lost your shit. Had they gone down to the jets, but you know, the only thing I could really kind of say that maybe a critical point for them is the one that you mentioned with the defense, kind of letting their foot off the pedal in the second half. But I mean, listen, when you're up by like four possessions after Jonathan Taylor got that huge 80-yard uh, run that pretty much blew the door off this game, I mean, when you're up by four possessions, it's going be hard to kind of give that up. But that's really kind of the only thing I could kind of say. You know, they did, they did allow the Jets to score some points in the second half. But all in all, I thought the Colts had a great game. This is a huge bounce-back game. It does keep them somewhat relevant in the AFC South. We got to see how the Titans respond after losing Derrick Henry for potentially the rest of the season. So I don't want to say the Colts are out of it yet. They have a long way to go as far as trying to get back at the top of the AFC South. But at least this is a step in the right direction. And it does really kind of show me that the potential that this team has. If they just continue to run the ball, they did a great job with it tonight. And I think they just found a, a winning formula here. If you run the ball consistently, if your offensive line is winning that line the way that they did against the Jets, that could be something to build on. You know, just whether or not that Frank follows it up, you know, next week, you know, but that'll be something that we monitor for the rest of the season. But this is a great performance from the Colts. I got nothing else to say other than that.
1: Yeah, we got some time, obviously, like I said, to kind of see if this this could become a habit, if this could become a trend. Like I've said in a multitude of segments and videos, there will always be a game in which, oh, my God, we look absolutely incredible. And then the next game is like, yo, what the fuck are we doing? So I'm not going to look too much into this. I'm just going to kind of let it come as it goes, and we will continue to see what happens.
0: Yeah. No. Well said. Uh, with that said, we will transition into our first featured game on the Sunday slate for Week 9, and that will be the Cincinnati Bengals going up against the Cleveland Browns. So both teams are kind of dealing with their own issues at this current moment in time. Uh, the Bengals are coming off of a really Bad loss against the New York Jets last week where they allowed the Jets to come back from a two-possession deficit in the fourth quarter and make Mike White look like goddamn Tom Brady out there with the performance that he had against that Bengals defense. And then to kick it to Cleveland, you know, great that they've dealt with a bunch of injuries this year. Obviously, Kareem Hunt is going to be out for an extended period of time. They did get Nick Chubb back, so that'll definitely be a positive for them. But it's really just this Odell situation that's really kind of embroiled this team over— the last week or so. And that's something that I want to focus on first before we actually get into the game. Kevin, just with the media circus that was really kind of surrounding Odell Beckham at this current moment in time, just where do you think that that this leaves the Cleveland Browns as far as their position with Odell Beckham moving forward? Listen,
1: Cleveland knew what they were trading for when they traded for Odell Beckham a few years back from the New York Giants. They knew that Odell liked to be the center of attention. They knew that he came with off-the-field antics. They knew that he came with on-the-field antics. So I don't feel bad for Cleveland. Um, Obviously, at this point, they need to make a decision on what they're going to do. The trade deadline has passed. Odell Beckham is now on back-to-back days of being excused from practice. And, and, And I know Kyle and I were talking about this right before we started recording. We both truly and honestly feel that he's going to be a healthy scratch this week. Um, we were talking about some ways that Cleveland can kind of find a way to off let him this season, but I don't believe that's going to happen because in order to let that happen or in order for that to happen in general, that's going to have to be waving him or cutting him. And that's going to be a massive hit to the salary cap. They just cannot afford that kind of money, that dead money that's going to sit with them. So I don't know how the season's going to pan out. Now there's consistent turmoil within the locker room in terms of Odell's dad kind of putting that video up of Baker purposely missing his son. Um, Reporters are obviously digging and trying to make Baker slip up and saying, hey, do you guys have any issues with each other? Has there ever been beef? And, you know, just all these random questions. I don't necessarily see it as any beef in particular between Baker and Odell. I just think that Cleveland system doesn't fit, and for a number of reasons. Obviously, they're a run first football team. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, when healthy, this team can average anywhere from 175 to 200 yards rushing. Um, and then, of course, you know Odell's got his—I mean, excuse me—Baker's uh, got a select group of people he likes to throw to. I know that he has a great relationship with Jarvis Landry. He also loves to spread the ball out evenly between both of his tight ends and his outside wide receivers, in Higgins and Peoples Jones. So it's not like. He's literally looking at Odell Beckham and giving him a bird like, yo, I I don't fuck with you. But on Odell's side, it is a cause for question. You're being paid top receiver money. You know that when healthy, you are a top receiver in this game. And you're just genuinely being missed. Now, whether or not it's schemes not being put up for Odell or Baker just genuinely missing Baker being open, excuse me, or Baker missing Odell being open. Um You know speculation is is probably key here it's all about perception on on what you believe to be the situation, but I think it's fifty fifty odo doesn't help himself with his mouth and obviously his dad doing what he did posting that video. but then again, you know Baker being Baker doesn't help either because he just seems very nonchalant about the entire situation and his performance on the field isn't reflecting him saying that there are no issues because let's be honest, there were some plays in that video that his dad posted where Odell is genuinely wide open and there's either nobody around him or Baker just straight misses him and sails a couple of passes. So it kind of depends where you sit on the side of the fence or what side of the fence you sit on. But I do believe that this is going to carry out throughout the season because Kyle, I know that you had told me that it's literally impossible to make the trade now, now that the deadline has passed. I was always under the impression a trade could end up happening after it would just end up costing more or they would have to pay a fine or something. I don't know why I was under that misconception, but It's looking like this is going to be one of those forced marriages that are going to have to work itself out until the end of the season.
0: Well, yeah, and I think at this point, you know, they're just going to have to keep Odell on the roster because, I mean, if they cut him, I mean, you got to take the cap hit with that, and and there's no way that the Browns are going to take that. It's not even worth it. So my question is, is whether or not that they could repair this as the season goes on in the second half of the year. And, you know, I think this is something where, you know, I think Baker and Odell, they just need to have a conversation about this, you know, where, you know, they have a private convo and just try to iron this out as best as you can. And, you know, the situation between Odell and the team, they're just going to have to work through that throughout the rest of the year. Could it be mended? I'm not going to rule it out, but it really kind of shows me that the Browns do not want to tolerate this nonsense from Odell because I mean, when you excuse him for practices, two days in a row. That tells me that more likely than not, I don't think he's going to be a part of the game plan this upcoming weekend against the Bengals. And, you know, Odell has has huge skills like that. I'm not discrediting him in any way, shape or form. It's just that it seems wherever Odell is granted when he was in New York, he was a center of attention. And even with Cleveland, even though he's not really producing at a high level, like he used to with the giants, he still finds himself in a situation where he seems to be the center of attention. You know, granted his dad didn't help the situation by posting that Instagram video of showing his son being wide open and Baker missing him, but it's like the story just seems to always encompass Odell in some way or another. It's just going to be a difficult situation moving forward. I I still think that it can be mended. It's just... I don't know if it's going to be a situation where... Odell's going to be a major part of the team moving forward because, you know, when you're out for these practices, you know, it, it tends to lead me to believe that he's going to be potentially out for this game just from a healthy scratch. And honestly, I I wouldn't put it past the Browns to possibly suspend him for, you know, detrimental conduct to the team. And, you know, I, I don't want to see that happen because I think Odell could definitely provide, you know, a huge day for, the Browns. I mean, not this week, you know, we'll see whether or not that he plays or not, but you know, the impact that he can bring to the Browns. I mean, it's there. It's just that Kevin, it's like you said, you know, Baker does have his targets that he likes to throw to, you know, whether it's David Nujoku or Donovan Peoples Jones or Jarvis Landry, you know, those just seem to be the feature targets that he goes to. And, And Odell is just kind of finding himself in a situation where he just seems to be the odd man out here. and, You know, I guess the behavior that he's kind of put out into the ether at this point, it doesn't really help him. So the situation, obviously, it could improve over time. It could devolve over time. I don't know where it's going to go as far as past this week goes. But if this week is any indication, I just think the Browns are just fed up with OBJ's antics. And, you know, I think as far as I'm concerned... It's looking like this is going to be Odell's last year in, in Cleveland because I, they're not going to tolerate this any longer after this season. I just, I don't see any other way that they could remedy the situation moving forward. But, you know, I guess time will tell, but it's like it's just Odell always kind of finds himself in the center of the media attention. And, you know, granted, his father was kind of the source in this one, but this had been something that had been brewing for a while now, and now it's just kind of reached to a reached a point where he finds himself in it again and i just don't really know what to say other than that it's just he is kind of a distraction at this point there's no other way for me to say it
1: i mean yeah again we can paint the picture in in a multitude of ways here i'm not really going to sit here and say it's one or the other's fault obviously i i I broke it down to both sides as to why they'd be upset but I'm always going to lean towards the player in most cases just because you have to understand you're being paid this money and you're actually performing at your peak. Obviously, when you're not on the field because of injury, that takes away your ability to perform. But when you are healthy and you feel that you are performing to the capability, the maximum capability of your job, and that is playing wide receiver in the NFL – it is to create separation and make plays for your team. And if you're not being given that opportunity for whatever reason, once or twice in a couple of weeks, you know what I'm saying? That's a, that's, that's a given. We're talking, this has been going on pretty much since Odell got to Cleveland. It has mm-hmm. been one game Odell will have a really big game, two, three games where Odell's not featured, a game or two where Odell's hurt, and then we. it's kind of like a repeating cycle. But this season, since he's returned, I don't think there's been a game where he's had over 50, 60 yards. Mm -mm. And again, I feel like Odell's father blowing this out of proportion with, of course, just stitching film on Baker's mistakes makes this a little bit kind of like skewed because you're only seeing one side of it. Now, I'm pretty sure there's plays where Odell doesn't finish a route or there's miscommunication to where Baker thought that Odell was going to go another way or Odell thought Baker was going to throw it another way. So, of course, not all of this is on Baker. But again, I do understand from Odell's standpoint, mentally and both you know, like physically, you're sitting here like, dude, I just rehabbed from this horrible injury. I am busting my ass, and you genuinely aren't throwing it to me for whatever reason, and you're throwing it to all these random people. I'm pretty sure if you combine the salaries of the receiving core outside of Austin Hooper's contract together, Odell makes more than them. Yeah. So you should be... You should be throwing his way more. I'm not saying force it. I'm not saying if there's two or three people like Randy Moss back in the day go up and get it, but one on one coverage for the most time, man to man coverage, you got to figure Odell's going to beat that. You know? And and zone coverages, Odell's got the separation capability between his speed and his route running ability. And we all know that he can make spectacular catches. So, again, I get Odell's side, but I get the Browns side, but I feel less inclined to feel bad for the Browns because you went out and got somebody like this. It was a matter of time before Baker starts to act up. I mean, uh, Odell starts to act up. I just think that it's a little bit more justified this time.
0: Yeah, it's just, but the thing is, I guess really the the thing that I'm going to pay attention to is whether or not that this Odell-Baker drama is going to continue into this game this weekend between, you know, the Browns and the Bengals. And that's where I'm going to kind of segue our next segment into. Yeah. So, you know, obviously the Browns, they will be playing the Bengals on the road. And just to kind of give you guys an update of where both teams stand, Mm -hmm. uh, the Bengals currently sit at a five and three record. Like I mentioned earlier, they did have a really bad loss to the New York Jets last week. And the Browns, they had probably one of the ugliest performances as far as any team goes from last week against the Steelers. They lost that game to the sealers by the score of 15 to 10 in what was really a defensive battle from beginning to end. And they currently sit at a four and four record. So Kevin, I'll kick this question to you in this AFC North battle between the Cleveland Browns and the Bengals. uh, Who do you expect to come out on top and why?
1: So this is a little bit more of a tough one for me not necessarily because of the matchup. It's a divisional game. So obviously both teams are going to be playing their asses off. But I think it's going to be tough because both teams are coming off of some, some some tough situations. Obviously, what we just talked about internally with the Browns and then, of course, um, the Bengals coming off of a pretty bad loss kind of maybe showing or shedding some light that that defense could have some spots. I mean, hey, listen, Mike the Goat White went out and balled the hell out last week, right? He, he carved it up and he carved up a good amount of the game that he played against the Colts. So by no means is this kid a scrub. But uh, I think Cincinnati's going to come out with a chip on their shoulder. I think they're going to come out pretty upset. They're coming. They're going to come out there pretty mad because they let up a game that could have definitely separated them from the Ravens uh, and really put them in a good spot to be successful in the AFC North. But uh, the Browns also have a pretty good personnel group coming together. Obviously, Nick Chubb is now healthy. They're getting healthier throughout the week, minus Baker's consistent injury with the shoulder. Um, the defense played solid last week. I'm not going to go out there and say that they were spectacular, but they did what they needed to do to a certain extent. So um, I expect it to be a little bit of a gritty game. Again, uh, obviously them being division rivals makes this a little bit more of a chippy game. And then, you know, if Cleveland wins, they're tied with Cincinnati for second place. And obviously if uh, Baltimore wins, they're going to be in sole possession of first. But again, a lot riding in this game. If the Bengals obviously flip and they were to go out there and win, uh, they would be tied with Baltimore because I believe Baltimore 6-2 and two right now, right?
0: I know they're I like five and three. They're like either five and two or six and two. Yeah.
1: Yeah. One of the two, right? So again, um, a lot riding on the game. If I had to pick, I would probably say Cincinnati just because they have the chip from last week. And because of the internal turmoil that is going on within Cleveland's locker room right now, whether Odell, oh, Odell, <laughs> whether Odell plays or not is going to also be a big factor because it just takes away a weapon that you don't got a scheme for.
0: Yeah. I, I, You know, when I look at this matchup, it's going to be an interesting one just because, you know, these divisional matchups, you know, they're always kind of tough to pick because, you know, these teams know each other really well. But I'm going to favor Cincinnati in this one. And here's why. You know, like you mentioned, they had a really bad performance against the Jets last week. You know, granted, they did score 31 points against New York. It's just that they gave up 34 to the Jets and to a backup quarterback who looked like Tom Brady out there for coming to Joe
1: Montana, okay? Bro, it, Michael it,
0: White is a beast. It, bro, it was insane. Like, he could not miss. Like, in that fourth quarter, he was money. You know, and, and I think Cincinnati, they learned some lessons from that game. And, and Cincinnati is a very young team still, by and large. And I think that game in particular, you know, it's like, damn, you know, you got to play 60 minutes. You know, I know the Jets aren't that good of a team, but, you know, that, that's one game where it's like, yeah, we had that one. We just let it slip. You know, and those are one of those learning experiences, you know, some growing pains in some way or another in that regard. And I think they get back on track this week. I think Joe Burrow, I think he does a solid job against this Cleveland defense. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Mixon has a really solid day, not just in the run game, but also in the passing game as well. The way that he can be utilized in the receiving game, you know, there's not too many running backs that can be as effective with running the ball. And to go along with that, just as good in the receiving game as well. I think Jamar Chase, I think that connection between him and Joe Burrow, I think it gets back on track from last week. And I think the defense, I think they improved mightily than what they gave up last week to the Jets. And, And Cleveland coming into this game, offensively, they've been really struggling the last three games. They haven't put up over 20 points as an offense in their last three games. And they're coming off a performance last week where they only score 10 points as an offense. And it really does kind of go to show just, I think how impactful that injury to Baker with that torn labrum issue is and losing Kareem hunt. You know, they lost that one, two combo punch with Nick Chubb and Kareem hunt when Kareem went out with that injury. And I do think that Dearness Johnson has come in admirably to replace Kareem hunt, but it's just, it's just not the same. I know Nick Chubb is coming off of an injury as well. So, the offense is definitely battered with injuries. And then when you tie in all the Odell drama attached to it, it just doesn't seem like Cleveland's in a position where they're going to be competitive against the Bengals to get this win. You know, it's still a divisional game. I think it's going to be fairly close still. I think Cincinnati, they win this one. I'm going to say they win this one by about seven to 10 points. I'm feeling like 27 to 17 somewhere around there. I just, I don't have a lot of faith that Cleveland's going to be able to get over 20 points just because they haven't shown me anything of late that they could actually keep up with the teams that they go against. I mean, the last great offensive performance that they had for the season was against the Chargers. You know, they scored, I think, like 42 points, but ended up losing that game because they gave up damn near 50. So, it's just, I don't have a lot of faith in the Browns, but I think the Bengals, they get back on track. I think they wipe away that memory that was the Jets game last week. And I think, you know, they move on to six and three after this divisional matchup.
1: It's going to be a good game. Um, let me just go out there on a limb and say De Ernest Johnson has been playing phenomenal in that backup position. Oh, yeah. Obviously you have the potential of two pro bowl, if not two all pro, if you know, on separate teams, because we all know that Kareem hunt could manage the low by himself if he had to, um, Dearness Johnson is replacing the both of them, and he is doing an exponentially incredible job for a third string guy coming out of left field. I mean, what did he go to USF, UCF, some random school to where he had to like email somebody on LinkedIn or email a front office manager to like, "Hey, like I'd love to participate or you know get a tryout or whatever." To the point of now, he started a couple NFL games and he had over a hundred yards. And if, if I'm not mistaken, in each of them, so by no means is 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 he any less of a, you know, a good football player. And I think that in terms of the run game, him and Nick Chubb together obviously, like you said, are not going to be as effective as Kareem. But he is a good role player and he's a good backup running back from what we have been able to see. So I won't go out there and say that, you know, it's going to be that big of a drop-off, but if you just continue to play the way that you're playing um and run the football effectively against this uh questionable Bengals team because we all know that they've had ups and downs all year but they're not necessarily known for halting the run. So I think that will be Cleveland's key to success, create the play action, and then that's going to be how Baker, you know, kind of pokes holes in the defenses, go forward for the rest of the game. However, I agree with Kyle. I still have Cincinnati winning this game.
0: Well, I mean, just to talk about Dearness Johnson real quick, I mean, he had his breakout game against the Broncos on that Thursday night matchup just a couple of weeks ago where he came up with some huge plays for Cleveland, especially like some really crucial third down conversions getting towards the end of that game. And that was the game where I actually picked the Broncos to win that game just because just the Browns were dealing with so many injuries. I think that was the game where, um, if I'm not mistaken, that Case Keenum actually got the start for the Browns. Baker missed that game, if I remember correctly. I haven't seen Case Keenum really start in the NFL in the last couple of years, and it was kind of nice to actually see that he's still around, actually, you know, being more useful than holding a clipboard. But, you know, it's just, you know, I got to give Dearness Johnson some credit though. And I will say this, you know, when it comes to the end of the year, it would be interesting to see whether or not that he actually stays on the Browns roster moving forward. Because I imagine that, you know, some NFL teams are going to be looking at, you know, possibly looking at some role running, uh, some some role players as far as like possibly adding some running back depth to their team. And I imagine that Dearness Johnson, He'll definitely get some looks in, you know, whether, you know, they could potentially trade him. I don't know if he's gonna be a free agent or not. I, I I don't know what his status is as far as his contract goes. But I guarantee you this in the in the offseason, he could definitely get some looks. Yeah, I mean
1: Yeah, I don't know if two games is enough for, you know, someone to really catch an eye, but then again, we've seen people get jobs out of nowhere. So I'm not gonna say it's impossible. I mean, for God's sakes, Adrian Peterson just got a job and in tennessee so i mean we'll see if he gets elevated to the active roster because i know he was signed to the practice squad but uh yeah no i i think it would be interesting just because the story is cool i mean it'd be really good for him and really cool for his family but we'll we'll just have to kind of play that by ear i feel like i've been saying that a lot lately but it's it's really all you can do in the nfl it either happens or it doesn't
0: well yeah but he made the most of his opportunity and it's like you don't know how many opportunities you're going to be able to get and as far as i'm concerned. You know, he's got a great opportunity while Kareem Hunt recovers from his injury. And, and so far, I think he's maximized it to the best that he's could so far. You know, it's, it's just tough being behind Nick Chubb. And obviously, Nick Chubb is the primary running back of that team. But in the moments where Dearness Johnson has gotten his, gotten his touches, I think he's played relatively well. I can't really criticize the guy in any way, shape, or form. He's played admirable football.
1: Yeah, that's that's what you look for in your backup. Obviously, it's always been next man up. But when you have somebody legitimately come out of the woodwork like that, um, you really kind of you, you really kind of root for him and pull for him because they played better than a lot of people expected. I'm assuming, and if he just continues to do that, obviously you're not taking any any touches away from Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt. But you got to take advantage of the snaps while you get them because this is basically your your coming out party, your resume, your your mixtape of of sorts, you know, your highlight reel for other teams to really be like, I like that. And the more reps you get, the more visual, you know, visual aid you'll end up having for your for your future.
0: Well, and the thing is, you know, we always focus on the the, the top tier players, but it, but it's always nice to shine some light and and show some respect to, you know, the guys that you know necessarily don't get a lot of looks. You know, De'arnest Johnson, you know, had Kareem Hunt not gotten hurt. I mean, he would have gotten limited touches at best, probably garbage time touches when nobody's really paying attention. So I'm glad that he's doing the best that he can, and he's making the most of his opportunities so far, and I think that's just great. And I'm glad that you and I are actually taking time to you know, actually give him some props because, bro, I think he's earned it in the limited time yeah. that he's played. He,
1: so. I, like I've said before, you, you got to love the story. That's the biggest part for me, the thing that just stands out, you know? Yeah,
0: and it's like he's he's doing great and you know, I love it. But uh with that said, we will transition into our next game which will feature the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh this was probably going to be one of the most anticipated matchups of the week um after week 8 finished, but this game does have a caveat attached to it and that is that Aaron Rodgers will not be playing in this game due, due to the fact that he tested positive. COVID-19 so he is out for this game but I do believe that they are getting Devontae Adams back from the COVID list so I, I believe he will be active for this game against the Chiefs um you know the Packers are coming off one of the biggest wins of the year against Arizona last week they ended Arizona's undefeated season and then to kick it over to the Chiefs the Chiefs have had a up and down year to say the least and granted they did win against the New York Giants last week but it was Barely. a struggle. It was a struggle to say the least. You know, just they were able to gut out a victory, but it, it did not come easy. I mean, currently the Chiefs are sitting at a four and four record, and they're kind of treading water as far as they're standing in the AFC West goes. But Kevin, I'm going to kick this to you. Um, with Aaron Rodgers being out for the Packers in this game, just what is your expectation for the Packers, and do you think they have any sort of chance to beat the Chiefs in this upcoming matchup?
1: Well, with a defense as bad as the Chiefs and Daniel Jones and the Giants literally almost going into Arrowhead and getting a W, I would say anything is possible. And I'm not throwing shade at the Giants. They played a very good football game. Their defense showed that they can, they can battle. But, you know, I'm I'm looking, I'm looking at this particular situation to the point where I'm just like, well, okay, how is this going to happen? How is Green Bay going to go out of their way to – Get this victory. Jordan Love has no NFL experience. He's played preseason snaps. Jordan Love also has been known to, you know, have a little bit of a a turnover problem in practice. From what we've understood over the last couple of years, he has not really impressed the coaching staff. So there's that. And you kind of insert him here with a short week's notice. Obviously, he no, I wouldn't say short week. He actually, what does he had? What Aaron got diagnosed? What Monday, Tuesday?
0: It was like on Tuesday, yeah.
1: So, I mean, he's had a decent amount of time with the first team. And then – so, obviously, when you have probably the best wide receiver in football on your team, you really just have to continue to scheme. I have to put the ball in Devontae's hands. And the better part, you have two solid running backs and Aaron Jones and Dylan. I always forget his first name. I always think of Corey Dillon. A.J. Dylan. We talk about this every week. I don't know why I think of Corey. Just because he's kind of like big, stocky, and he wears 28, so it's like really weird – um, but they have A.J. Dillon and, obviously, Aaron Jones. Um, they did just lose Robert Tunyon for the year, but Mercedes Lewis has shown in flashes that he can still be uh, an up-to-par and good uh, tight end in this league. So, I mean, Jordan Love just got to rely on his weapons, man. Matt LaFleur is a good coach. They have an okay defense, and you have weapons around you. I, I think it's possible, but I think this is the advantage that Patrick Mahomes needs. Because this is that, that fire in your eye. We just won and we went to 500 at home last Monday. Aaron's not playing. This is 100% where we need to take advantage. So I'm going to say I'm leaning towards the Chiefs by maybe three or so points. I'm not going to make this a big game, but I'm going to say that this is going to be a close game. But if Jordan Love has that turnover issue or some you know, first NFL star jitters, I would not be surprised if this game goes into a two-possession game.
0: This is a tough one for me because, you know, my head immediately says that the Chiefs are going to win this game by 10 plus points. Just because when you lose Aaron Rodgers in this matchup, I just don't have faith that Jordan Love is going to be able to carry the Packers to a win against the Chiefs. But when I look at what the Giants did to the Chiefs last week, they were in it basically the entire game. And there were points in the game where I thought the Giants could have actually beaten the chiefs. They just couldn't make the plays that needed to be made. So if Daniel Jones can almost beat the chiefs, I can't rule out the possibility that Jordan love can keep this game close. just because man, th- that chiefs offense, man, they just look inconsistent right now, they like, they just can't get in a rhythm whatsoever. But With that said, I do think that the Chiefs found something that they can work with, and that is running the football. So what I'm going to focus on with the Chiefs here is whether or not that they really focus on giving the ball to Darrell Williams and Derek Gore. You know, Clyde Edwards is still out with the injury that he sustained a couple weeks back, so he's not going to be in this game. But from what I saw in the Giants game, the Chiefs could run the ball effectively when given the opportunities. And I do think that the offensive line... That the Chiefs have, even though they've, they've had some pass protection issues, they were giving good running lanes for Derek Gore and Darrell Williams to exploit. So I think this is a game where if the Chiefs are smart, they try to come with a little bit more of a well-balanced offensive attack, and they don't just solely rely on Patrick Mahomes to carry them to the promised land by flinging the ball 40-45 times and throwing for 400-450 yards passing. So You know, that's really the one thing that I want to see from the Chiefs here. I want to see a well-rounded offensive output. You know, I would be mad if like, you know, Patrick put up 300, 325 yards passing. But I want to see that the run game gets at least 125 yards on the ground. If they could do that against, you know, a Packers team that is dealing with a major injury, not major injury, but a major loss in Aaron Rodgers not being available for this game, I do think that just eventually Green Bay is not going to be able to keep up with, that chief's offense. And I do think in the second half, that's where the chiefs are really going to kind of blow this game open and end up getting the win. You know, the, I think the Packers kind of got lucky by winning that game against the Cardinals last, last week, just based off of the, the miscommunication between Kyler Murray and AJ green. Cause it looked like the Cardinals were going to win that game, but the Packers ended up getting the win, a major win on the road. But I don't think that's going to happen this week. I just think the loss of Aaron Rodgers due to testing positive for COVID-19 is going to be too much to overcome. I don't think Jordan Love is going to be the guy that that gets this Packers team a win in Arrowhead. And I think the Chiefs, they just get some sort of offensive consistency going in this game. I think they actually crack 30 points. It's kind of been weird to say that the last two weeks, they've always scored a combined 23 points in their last two games. I think they get above 30 in this one. And I do think that, they end up getting about, I'm going to say a seven-point win. I want to say like 30, 31 24, somewhere around there. But I don't think this is going to be a game where it's a blowout. But, you know, I mean, if the Chiefs struggled against the Giants last week, I think this is going to be a closer game than I think a lot of people are expecting, despite the fact that Aaron Rodgers is out.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be frank. I, I have no faith in Jordan Love. I really don't. As, as disrespectful as it may come across, I mean, you have been – the epitome of a spite-me pick. That's what I took it as when they drafted Jordan Love. I did not think he was a first-round talent, especially not to a system like Green Bay. I literally did not see Aaron Rodgers walking away from the game anytime soon at that point either. So he's been sitting behind Aaron, and again, from the reports and what we've understood, he hasn't necessarily been able to do his due diligence as a second-string quarterback, but this is going to be his way to prove against his naysayers. So, again... formula for success, run the football like I've been saying for a lot of fucking teams including my own Um, make sure you take advantage of the best receiver, don't go forcing passes to him double covered but make sure that you, Matt LaFleur is going to come prepared to make some easy plays to get Jordan in a rhythm early but Pat's got to be Pat on the Chiefs side man Pat's got to stop with these turnovers these fumbles, these unnecessary throws granted a lot of them are unlucky just because some of them are tipped, some of them are just unfortunate, you know, um uh, batted balls at the line of scrimmage that end up going up. But mm-hmm. it is what it is. I think Andy Reid will come adjusted and like Kyle said, run the ball with Daryl and Gore. I think you'll be fine. I, again, I favor the Chiefs, but I think that the Chiefs win pretty much no matter what, in my opinion. It just is a matter of, does Jordan play good enough football to keep it close, or does he play atrocious football to where Pat blows him out?
0: The only way that the Packers win this game is if they force like two or three turnovers. And with the way that the Chiefs have been playing recently.
1: that hard of a task.
0: I can't rule that out. And I think this is a game where, I'll be honest with you. I think Patrick has gotten to a situation where he's doing way too much. He's playing hero ball. He's trying to make something out of nothing. And I I can't criticize the effort. The effort is there. It's It's just the mistakes that he's making, it's costing the team. But I think it's really due into part that he's trying to just make something out of nothing. And I think this is a game where if the Chiefs are smart when it comes to passing the ball, hit those short and intermediate routes. I think NFL defenses, by and large, they have finally adjusted to slowing down Tyreek Hill and the long ball aspect of the Chiefs offense. Now Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, now they have to make the adjustment. Now they got to focus on, well, if the two safeties that we're going up against are playing 25, 30 yards back, well, that's gonna leave the middle of the field open. You just have to you just have to exploit the gaps in the defense or just win the one-on-one battles against the opposing defense. So this is a situation where, you know, I think they should shorten the field, you know, work on some, you know, three to five yard passes, hit some guys on the flat. You know, if you want to focus on maybe hitting like 10, 15 yard routes, I mean that's fine. But these 30, 35 yard routes that take forever to, you know, materialize. They got to stop that because I think defenses have finally figured it out, figured it out as far as, okay, we're just going to have two safeties back there. We're not going to let Tyreek or Travis Kelsey get that far down the field without being double covered or getting a beat over the top. It's not going to happen anymore. So, you know, I think if they do that, they focus on running the ball. I think they'll be fine. I think they have the personnel to run the ball very well. It's just whether or not that they actually do it. This is a situation. This is a situation where... Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy—they have to make an adjustment. Listen, we're getting into November; it's starting to get a little bit colder now. You got to run the football more, you know. And I, you know, I want to see these guys actually produce in a big way in the run game because I think they can actually produce for Casey in a big way. It's just can Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy kind of get out of their own head with the offensive system that they like running, where it's very, you know. Run and gun with Pat just throwing the ball all the time. I think this is a situation where they got to take a step back. They got to reassess a little bit and they got to fine tune some things. Run the ball a little bit more consistently. I'm not saying it's got to be a 50-50 split, but you know, if you're passing the ball 60% of the time and you're running about 40, that's better than like a 75-25 split where Pat's throwing the ball 40-45 times and your running backs are only getting maybe 20 carries at best. You know, if they get somewhere around 25, 30 carries, I think that's a winning formula for them. And if Pat, you know, throws somewhere around maybe like 35 at the most 40 times, I think you can work off of that. But this is an adjustment. You know, they figured out Pat. And the thing is, Pat does not do well when the pressure comes from the outsides because he has a tendency to scramble out. And at that point, the defense has already got the advantage at that point because, Pat's only got so much room until he hits the sideline before he's either just got to run out of bounds or he's got to throw the ball into traffic or he's going to throw the ball against his body. And that's where some of the turnovers can come in. So it's just the offensive coordinator and the head coach, they have to make the adjustments here. And I think if they do that, I think Casey will be fine. But that's why the offense is really struggling because I still, still think that they're in that mindset of what they were in two, three years ago when they were just, a high flying offense that couldn't be stopped with a deep ball. But defensive coordinators have figured this team out. And now, like anything else,
1: man, yeah. like anything else, big trends, big offensive changes, dynamic playmakers, they all get figured out except for Derek Henry. Um,
0: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, honestly, with, with Henry, it's really just the biggest enemy is himself just because yeah. it's just a health issue. But I mean, outside of that, I mean, that's it's the only thing
1: a... that can stop Derrick Henry is an injury, which is very unfortunate because that says a lot.
0: Yeah, bro, I I know we're about to get into this game, but the fact of the matter is, is that the guy's going to be the leading rusher for probably the next two weeks without even playing is going to be nuts. Well, I mean, Jonathan Taylor just did put up 170, so, you know, he'll, he'll be close. But, bro, I mean, Derrick Henry almost had a thousand yards rushing in like eight games. Not healthy, not normal. We've talked about this. Not a human being at this. point. The dude's point. an alien, bro. Like the dude's just. I I don't know if you saw, uh, uh, on NFL on their Twitter page, um, they put a um, they put a tweet out saying, okay, pick your five best offensive players that include, quarterback. A running back, two wide receivers, and a tight end. You know, and and this is like, you know, you pick the five best players that fit those positions. And for the running back one, I put Derrick Henry. Just because, look, there have been some great NFL running backs. And, like, you could basically go back all the way to the 60s with Jim Brown. But I've never seen a physical specimen like Derrick Henry. Maybe he's, like, the only person I could kind of, like, get some some sort of similar vibes to him is kind of like Earl Campbell. I was going to say the same thing. He was a a very physical runner, just like Derrick Henry is. But it's just, I mean, Derrick Henry, I mean, he's the freaking tank, bro. It's like, I mean, he mows defenses down like it's nothing. It's absolutely wild. But um, with that said, we'll transition into uh, the last featured game uh, that we'll cover, and that will be the Tennessee Titans going against the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, to put it bluntly, both teams have been playing very well of late. Uh, the Rams, they currently only have one loss on the season, and that one game was against the Cardinals a few weeks back. But since then, they've been playing very good football. They just annihilated the Texans last week in a pretty easy win. And then Tennessee, they've been on a really good winning streak the last couple of weeks. They had some big wins um, against the Chiefs, against the Bills, and then they had the really close AFC South battle with the Colts last week that they were able to win much to the chagrin of Kevin. You know, that was a tough game for him to watch. But, you know, Tennessee's on a roll. But, you know, the main caveat that comes along with Tennessee is that Derrick Henry is going to be out at least until the middle or end of December, possibly for the rest of the regular season after having foot surgery, after getting that Colts win. So, Kevin, to kick this question to you, in probably the best game of Week 9 featuring the Titans and the Rams, who do you have winning this one and why? So...
1: I want to just say the Rams blindly without really saying anything. Or should I say, with just saying two words, Vaughn Miller. Um, the Rams have, I think, one total draft pick this year in the 2022 upcoming draft. They have traded away every single pick, if not one or two, for pretty much every player on their team. They have acquired Vaughn Miller for, I believe, a second and third round pick. And that just adds to the Incredible depth of the pass rush—that is the LA Rams. You have Von Miller now rushing, rushing off the outside. You have Aaron Donald on in the inside. So you have to make a choice: do you double one or the other. And then, of course, you have Jalen Rams and the rest of that Jalen Ramsey and the rest of that party um, in the secondary. So I don't necessarily know if Ryan Tannehill is going to be well equipped for this pass rush because you know that you are not going to be able to run the ball as effectively. With McNichols, McNicholson, whatever his name is. Um, And the whole Adrian Peterson thing, we don't know how good of a shape he's in. I would assume Adrian Peterson is in top physical performance shape. They wouldn't have signed him if he wasn't. But we don't know if he's in game shape. He hasn't played a single snap this season. He obviously came off of a pretty solid uh, performance last year for his age and the system that he was in in Detroit. But we don't know if he's going to be ready to play come Sunday. It really depends on what Tennessee decides, decides to do in terms of uh, calling him up from the Packers squad or not. But I'm just going to lean towards the Rams. They've dominated every single team outside of that one game against the Cardinals. Matthew Stafford is playing MVP football. I mean, Cooper Cup, for God's sake, is on pace for damn near 2,000 yards and 20-some on touchdowns. Thank God I drafted him in one of my leagues because this, this offense has just seemed almost unstoppable to a certain extent. And I don't know if Tennessee's offense is going to be able to stop that when they couldn't stop Carson Wentz and the boys last week. Obviously, the interception was one thing, or the the the, the two picks were, were in and of itself two stupid mistakes. But I don't see Stafford making those mistakes. I don't see uh, McVeigh getting away from the run because obviously Henderson has been having a very, very solid year with over 500 yards rushing already. So... I think this is going to be about a 7-10 to 10 point game in favor of the Rams. Not to take away from the creativity that is Mike Vrabel and, and that Tennessee team, but without their best player, without arguably one of the best players in the NFL available to go, I don't think that Tannehill is going to be able to shoulder the brunt of it the entire game.
0: This is a pretty easy pick for me. I'm going to go with the Rams here. Just because when, when Tennessee lost Derrick Henry for possibly the rest of the year, I don't think there's another player outside of Derrick Henry that is more impactful for their team than him. He He's an absolute monster. I mean, going into that Colts game last week, he was already basically near 1,000 yards rushing in just eight games. I mean, he was 250 yards up next to the closest guy, and I believe that other running back that I'm mentioning is Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor. But that's just how big of a loss that Derrick Henry is and just replacing that void with Adrian Peterson, it may help, but it's not going to cover it. And even though that I think Ryan Tannehill is going to be decent moving forward, I just don't believe he's going to be enough to get this Tennessee team over the Rams in this matchup. I just, the Rams are just too good right now. The Rams have been in an absolute role ever since that loss against the Cardinals. Matthew Stafford has been playing like a man possessed the entire year And he's just been the epitome of consistent this year. The guy is throwing, on average, two or three touchdowns a game. His favorite target is Cooper Cup. Like, I mean, at this point, like you mentioned, I mean, Cooper Cup is headed for one of the best receiver seasons that we'll probably see in this generation because, I mean, the dude is just absolutely lighting it up this year. I mean, he's just an absolute fantasy dream if you have him on your team. And to go along with that, On the defensive side of the ball, you know, you add Von Miller, who's one of the best pass rushers that we've seen the last decade. You tie that along with Aaron Donald, who's probably the most impactful defensive player in the league for the past five to six years. And then you got Jalen Ramsey on the back end, who's an all pro cornerback. You know, I don't think that the Titans are going to get, you know, shut down by this Rams defense, but... That Rams defense is going to be after them the entire game. And I just don't see how the the Titans can overcome that defense. They'll be able to score points. It's just, it's not going to be enough. I I think the Rams offense, I think they possibly score 30 points in this game simply because Tennessee's defense, I don't care what anybody says, it is a rather subpar defense. And we saw that against Indianapolis last week. I can't believe that Indianapolis put over 30 points on that Tennessee defense. And that same defense held Kansas city to three points. It's really kind of wild. It's just how like literally like wild the the results have been with this defense. Like they play great one week and they play absolutely horrible the next week. And I think that result that we saw last week against the Colts, I think it's going to be very similar to what we see from Tennessee in this game. As far as their defense goes, I think they give up 30 points in this game To the Rams, I think the Rams win this one by, I I want to say a comfortable margin. I I think they win this one by 7 to 10 points. I'm going to think maybe like, you know, 31 to 21, kind of somewhere in that margin. I just think the loss of Derrick Henry is just so impactful for Tennessee. They're just not going to be able to overcome that this week. I mean, the Rams are one of the best teams, not only in the NFC, but in the NFL. I mean, I have them as a top three team throughout the entire NFL. They've been extremely consistent. I don't see that changing anytime soon, and I just don't think t- Tennessee has the personnel to match up well against them. The only way that Tennessee is going to win this game is if they get into a shooting mat or to get into a shootout with the Rams and Tennessee puts somehow thirty-five to forty points on the Rams. I just don't see that happening. The Rams defense is too good for that. I just think the Rams win this one, win this game by ten points. That's just kind of how I see this one playing out.
1: Sorry, Sabo was licking my trash can. Um, uh, I just—I I agree completely. I mean, I'm very curious to see how you know Mike Vrabel goes and plans for this defense. Just because I feel like they're not going to be prepared. For Von Miller
0: and Aaron
1: Donald. Bro, like how, do, bro, how do you prepare for that dude? Bro,
0: like, like <laughs> bro, he woke up four and four. Bro, he was up he woke up four and four and went to seven and one. Like, bro, like that's a you know, that's a huge that's a huge motivator for Von Miller. I mean, you know, Denver was, you know, at best treading water in the AFC West. And, you know, to be able to go to LA, I mean, bro, that is a legitimate Super Bowl contender this year. And I imagine that's got to, you know, revitalize him. You know, granted, I know he's dealt with some injuries over the last year or so, and he's still kind of banged up. But, I mean, the impact that he could provide as far as their pass rush, I mean, it's Uh, instantaneous. You know, and, man, I I don't... i I tell you what. It's it's, going to be a spark,
1: not even a spark, bro. It's going to be an immediate
0: jolt to that defense. I, I, I don't envy those offensive linemen that have to go up against Aaron Donald and... Von Miller, I mean, God, for God, for God's sakes, if they run a stunt with both of them, House. you got to, you got to account for both of them. Yeah. I mean, I'd be g- good luck, bro. I mean, that's a nightmare as far as offensive linemen and just the blocking schemes that they have to get against those guys. I mean, Aaron Donald is a beast by himself. Now you got to do I, with Von Miller on top of that? Bro, it's a problem. I d-
1: I think if I'm an offensive coordinator and again, I know that our football knowledge isn't anywhere near these professional coaches, but I'm automatically thinking you got to have a tight end. You got to have a tight end at the or an an extra offensive lineman, which limits your play calling capabilities.
0: You got to chip Vaughn if you're running any sort of play to the outside to his side. You got to be able to chip, or or you got to double. And I mean, Aaron Donald by himself—that's an he commands an immediate double. Double, yeah. I mean, honest. And then you probably, if you're in a passing play, you're going to have the running back, you know, be able to block in case he gets through. Yeah, I mean, I mean that—that's literally like the company that it takes to just focus on Aaron Donald. He's just that big of of a destructive force. It's an
1: insanely tall task as an offense to prepare for this. Like everybody can say you can prepare as best as possible in practice. You can't prep for Aaron Donald. Unless Aaron Donald's right in front of you, you just can't. So curious to see how that goes. But again, you know, without Derrick Henry, don't necessarily see the Titans coming out on top. So. Going to be an interesting game to close out the evening on Sunday, and that about wraps up our NFL segments for today. I know that Kyle and I have some more NBA news. So, mm-hmm. Kyle, what's 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 the remainder? Excuse me, I'm drawing a blank because it's 1 a.m.
0: <laughs> no, you good? So, up next, we're going to focus on the the story that ESPN posted about the Suns' owner, and really the the detailed and extensive article that they posted. I believe it was oh. on Thursday. Oh, sorry. Um, essentially this article was covering the 17 year timeline of, of the Suns' owner, where they go into detail about some troubling issues that have come out of the son's organization, as far as, you know, former employees that worked in the organization and current employees as well, in regards to, you know, essentially calling out the son's owner and, you know, to, to counter that point, you know, the Suns owner, um I believe the guy's name is, hold up, let me see if I got the guy's name right. I believe it's, it's Carver, uh if I have the name right. So, with that said, though, you know, it, it's quite a controversial topic at this point. Uh, Robert Sarver, excuse me, Robert Sarver um, is the owner of the Phoenix Suns. Um Now, Sarver has come out in full force against this article that ESPN uh, posted. He has already hired legal representation and they've already sent multiple letters to ESPN about this article, basically calling them out saying that this is nonsense, that this story is just outright false and outrageous. And there have been multiple statements from within the Suns' organizational standpoint from uh, James Jones and the CEO of the team, basically saying that this story does not represent in any way, shape or form, what Robert Sarver is as the owner of the Phoenix Suns. So really, when you look at this story in totality, you got one side saying that, yeah, Robert Sarver is not only racist, but he's a misogynist. He's a sexist. Um, and he's just a bad owner as far as his conduct goes internally with the Suns. And then you've got the organization saying that this article that ESPN posted does not represent in any way, shape, or form who Robert Sar- Robert Sarver is as a person and the owner for the Phoenix Suns. So, Kevin, to kick this question to you, this is an ongoing situation, and it's not going to be a situation that dies down anytime soon. But where do you take stock in this story at this current moment in time?
1: So me as an individual, it's hard to really take a side or take stock in anything right now because there isn't a lot of information that has really been disclosed without any speculation being included. Obviously, we know that the investigation is currently ongoing. We're already aware of the particular time period in which is being investigated, which would be, correct me if I'm wrong, 2011 to about 2016 in terms of emails and his
0: computer being searched, correct? No, this wasn't even emails. Really? This was more along the line of former employees just outright, you know, talking to this ESPN reporter and going into, you know, basically going into anecdotes about stories that people have heard, you know, in regards to Robert Sarver. I mean, this goes all the way back to 2004. You know, it covers the entire timeline that he's been the owner of the team. But really, I guess what I want to say is, most of the stories that have circulated from this article are mostly in between from like 2009 to about like 2015, 2016. I might have the later years a little bit wrong, but as far as the article goes, there wasn't really anything of mentioned from like 2017 on. So I, I didn't really get that from the article, but no, it's, I mean, it's a lengthy article just by itself. So, um, I mean, I could kick it back to you if you want to. Um.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, guys, I apologize. I feel like I'm ill-equipped for this particular segment just because I've only been able to really skim and kind of just base it off of the different reporters reporting it based off of Twitter. Um, And obviously with everything that happened with John Gruden a few weeks ago, I got the two stories mixed up. But nevertheless, with this being more of a he said, she said, a kind of a verbal communication, almost like telephone, I heard him say this, I heard him say that, I'm, I can't really rush to judge anything without more concrete evidence. I mean, and again, evidence is hard to come by when it's just continuous people coming out of the woodwork saying, "He said this ten years ago. He said this fifteen years ago. He had a conversation with this personnel or this faculty member, and he mentioned this word." The yeah, it's really hard to to, to put any actual stock into a lot of these accusations because. I don't believe that Monty Williams would end up working for a guy that is proven to be racist because obviously Monty Williams is a person of color. Monty Williams is a well respected and loved coach in the NBA prior to him being a head coach. Um obviously James Jones being a VP in the organization, another well and beloved coach slash former player. I don't necessarily think they would have been able to kind of turn the ship around with the personnel that they not only have in the front office. But people that play on the court, I mean, for God's sakes, Chris Paul's on this team. The the, the, the direct representative for the the, the NBA players in the uh, NBA PA uh, meetings and stuff, not. I mean, I don't think these people would be a part of a dirty organization. That's just my opinion. Um, But again, we're just going to have to continue to wait until more news continues to surface. And this is going to be an ongoing investigation for quite some time. And we're just going to have to wait and see what happens because, again, there's just not enough for me to really give a solidified, damn, he's a scumbag. Or, you know, like, we got to wait until someone says, you know what, he's an amazing character. But from what we've heard internally in terms of Phoenix, I haven't been able to really make a judgment based off of what I've been able to read or at least understand thus far.
0: So this is really kind of an interesting story because when I look at the the ongoing situation between the owner and a lot of these these former employees with the sons and some of the current ones, the main guy that I'm really sensing had a major issue with the owner was Earl Watson. Now he's a former head coach of the sons. He, he was the head coach for about a year and a half during like the middle of the 2010s. These two did not get along in any way, shape or form. They just did not see eye to eye. And it was a tumultuous business relationship that ended fairly quickly. Now, when it comes to some of the, I guess, kind of the lower tier or the lower level employees within the organization, um, you know, there's, there's some smoke there as far as, you know, were there some things said that he could have said that were inappropriate? Yeah, I, I don't necessarily deny that just based off of the report. But the thing is, a lot of these statements are like secondhand comments. You know, you heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody else. You know, they're not like direct anecdotes. It's a lot of like passing comments. And the only one I could really say in particular that really, I guess, made a stir of this whole thing was the Suns former head coach in Earl Watson. You know, that was really the one where he really focuses on going after Robert Sarver. Now, when I look at the current situation that the Suns organization has, I don't get the sense that it's this toxic work environment that some of these former employees have been saying it is because had there been any sort of toxic relationship that had been known at this point, it would have already been said from either Monty Williams, Chris Paul, um, James Jones, or Devin Booker. Yeah. Like somebody would have said something by now, had the owner been that big of an issue. And I mean, Kevin, I mean, they just went to the finals last year as far as the Suns go. And I never heard a mention of Monty Williams ever calling out the owner as far as anything bad that he did. In fact, Monty Williams was somebody that had high remarks for Robert Sarver, saying that one of the reasons that he signed on to be the head coach of the Phoenix Suns instead of other teams was that he thought that the relationship that he was able to establish with Robert Sarver was really well, was really good. And it's been so- somewhat, or actually, I shouldn't even say somewhat. It has been a pretty solid working business relationship since Matty Williams got the job as the head coach of the team. And you know, and Robert definitely is calling out the story as just outright false. He's saying that a lot of this is just out of context. That a lot of these stories, they're either just flat out not true, or they're just missing context entirely. And, you know, the NBA is con- is conducting their investigation. Obviously that will take some time to kind of sift through all the information. I imagine they'll be getting statements and, you know, even with that said though, a lot of these employees that are bringing up these remarks, as far as calling out the owner for being a racist, being a misogynist and being a sexist. I'm like, they never addressed it with Anybody in the NBA, the NBA is investigating this for the first time now. And these issues were taking place in some cases over a decade ago. So it kind of tells me, it's like, why is all this stuff coming out now? Like, what's the point of doing it right now? Like they had all that time to address that to somebody in the NBA. And and even within the NBA's organizational standpoint, from their standpoint, they've never received any sort of complaints from Phoenix. They never, over that entire timeline, they never really heard a peep from Phoenix. Now, could you say that, you know, the owner was suppressing what they were were claiming as criticisms or complaints? Yeah, you could make that case, I guess. But, you know, by and large, when I look at the story, I'm kind of taking the Monty Williams position. And that's basically, let the investigation play out for itself and we'll kind of see where it goes from here. And I really do think that in my mind, it's too early to jump to conclusions. You know, ESPN came up with the article, you know, the owner has already hired legal representation. So it tells me that he's not backing down from the situation whatsoever. He's actually, he's really attacking this head on, you know, and we'll kind of see where it goes from there. But, I mean, ESPN did post a lengthy article about this. I mean, it took me 15 minutes to read through the whole thing. It is quite extensive. And listen, do I think this is somewhat similar to what happened with Donald Sterling and the situation that he was in with the Los Angeles Clippers? No. No. This is entirely different. Um, You know, some people have said that, oh, th- this is basically similar to, similar to what the Donald Sterling situation was with the Clippers. No. No. I, I, I don't believe that to be the case. I believe that Donald Sterling's situation was a lot worse than this could ever really dream to be of. But, you know, it, it, we're just kind of in limbo right now with this story. We'll kind of see what the NBA does. Um, listen, th- this is a very controversial, you know, subject matter because obviously you have the element of race, uh, misogyny, and, and sexism kind of tied into this thing. But, you know, with the NBA's perspective on this, I don't think this rises to the level of what Donald Sterling did. And if the NBA, I'm just saying, just hypothetically here for a second, if the NBA actually comes back and says that that he's got to sell the team because of this, I think that's a stretch too far. But that's just kind of my opinion really early on. You know, we'll kind of see as more information comes out from the NBA's investigation. But... My basic position on this is we just have to wait and see. You know, and, and I and I don't want to jump to, to conclusions yet. It's it's too early for me to say that.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, again, it's very touchy, guys. We're not trying to sit here and tell you that your opinion is wrong or that our opinion is right. Um it's just news that we feel like we needed to talk about because it is very, very in terms of uh recent, uh it's a very hot topic and it's very uh very new. So we wanted to make sure that we at least covered something here.
0: Well, and the thing is, the one thing that I think is kind of telling about this is that this guy's not backing down as far as the owner goes. He is attacking this thing head on. And I mean, look, is this a situation where, you know, I mean, are they they trying to cancel the guy? You know, I don't know about that. You know, I think it's too early to say that, but. I guess it's just one that we're going to have to monitor. I mean, I I take into account what these people have said as far as what his conduct was. And I've also taken into account what he said. Because this is a situation where, to be quite honest with you, I think a lot of people will jump to conclusions to this guy's guilty. This guy's a racist. This guy's a misogynist. This guy's a sexist. Without even reading any of the article whatsoever, they'll just look at the headline and they'll say, oh, yeah, his ass is grass. That this guy's a racist. He needs to get out of the league. He needs to sell the team. And it's a tire fire in Phoenix. I think to those people, they really need to kind of like reassess this, this situation. They got to actually read the article. So they get a full context or at least get somewhat of a context before you just read a headline and just kind of assume where it's going to go. But no, like it's a big story. There's no doubt about that. Um, It just kind of sucks because Phoenix is a really good team. And now they got to be, embroiled in this story moving forward but you know honestly i think monty williams is like the right coach to kind of lead these guys through all that that all the uh the headlines and stuff and, and the media aspect of it so i'm not worried about the Suns as the team i think they'll be able to work through this fine but you know it's definitely a story to monitor and we will
1: yeah for sure and I, that that's the perfect note to end it on um Last topic, if not second-to-last topic, that we're going to hit on is going to be this NBA rule change. Um, guys, the NBA has finally done something about these stupid calls that have been pretty much ruining basketball games for the majority of, what would you
0: say, three, four years, the past I, couple of seasons? I'd say probably the last five years.
1: To where um, incidental contact forced by the offensive player is being drawn as a defensive foul. Now, by what I, the perfect example is James Harden running into the lane, hooking his defender, taking his steps, and then flailing his arms. Um, of course, the Luka Doncic slash Trey Young specialty, as well as James Harden, um, pump fake in the three-point line and then jumping into contact into uh, the defender, which is then causing them to be, uh, go to the free throw line. And then one of my least favorites, um on the defensive side when you grab a defensive rebound and you see a defender coming up to you you pretty much stop your dribble if not you stop your momentum to where they incidentally run into you and that is then also drawn as a foul. Guys, it's about time the NBA fixes this. This is something that Kyle and I have been complaining about personally to one another well before the podcast even became a thing. Oh, yeah. This is just absolutely atrocious in terms of this being even considered a foul and you are starting to see this affect these superstars. Hmm. James Harden's efficiency again very early into the year has been nowhere near as productive as what it has been in the past years because he's not going to the free throw line. Mm-hmm. And he's been done nothing but bitch Trey Young has been complaining. So I mean, a lot of superstars are very upset and I'm not going to go and give my opinion on it just yet, but Kyle I, I got to ask the question. What are your thoughts on this rule change finally happening?
0: Well, I mean, I fully agree. I just the one that really kind of gets me and I'm going to do the best to kind of like actually try to like act this out. The one that always kind of gets me is when a guy's basically like on the three point line, he pump fakes, you know, the defender jumps to like block, to block it. And then the shooter just basically like leans in with his shoulder and then like chucks the ball up to get a foul. I, I know that's not necessarily like the best like representation of what actually happens, but like that foul in particular that's one that really annoys me simply because even despite the fact that you're making the defender jump, the offensive player is the one bringing the contact into him. And, and to me, that's really the main thing that I think the NBA has gotten right. Is The fact is, is that the offensive player, when it comes to these specific fouls, like, Kevin, like you mentioned, with the hook thing that J- J- that James Harden likes to do. That's the worst
1: one for me. That's the worst uh, one. For, I can't. But, bro, I can't. But, but,
0: but the offensive player is the one that is doing the initiating of the contact. And to me, they finally got it right. Because I think for years, you know, players have feasted off of this stupid rule where they can get away with, you know, initiating contact. But if the defensive player is off the ground... Or, you know, the defensive player is, you know, really playing like locked in defensive coverage. And if there's just a slight bit of contact, you know, it's a foul. And that person's going to the free throw line to shoot free throws. And I want to say, you know, I might be wrong with this. I think a part of this rule change, I think it was really kind of like highlighted based off of the Team USA performance from the Olympics. Because, Kevin, you and I both remember just how differently the style that the FIBA rules are from the NBA rules are because a lot of the fouls that NBA players were getting in the NBA, they weren't getting in FIBA refereeing when the Olympics were going on. And you could tell that that definitely affected the United States, particularly because they weren't going to the free throw line as much compared to what they were getting in the NBA. They weren't, you know, getting those foul calls that they were used to getting in the NBA compared to FIBA. So I think this is a situation where the NBA finally got this right. It finally actually gives the defenders like an actual chance for once, because it just seems like the NBA has gone so far with making offense the prevalent force for its brand. But I think this is finally something where it kind of, it kind of balances the scales a little bit better. I mean, to me, I think they should bring back hand checking as far as defensive players go, because I don't think that I don't think that's a foul unless it's like an actual shove. But for yeah, me, no, I mean,
1: listen, 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 listen. This, let me give my, you know, the NBA fell to complete shit. Kyle, I know you remember this game vividly when Josh Hart has to play defense like this on James Harden. Yeah. Oh yeah. That is one hundred percent not fair. If a defender can't even use his hands because he is genuinely scared that he is going to get hooked by the offensive player just for sliding with his feet and trying to whether poke the ball out with his left hand, right hand, whatever have you, or just be able to protect himself. If you have to play defense on one person like this, where to the fullest extent you feel like you can't utilize your hands That's not basketball anymore. And James Harden is suffering, and I'm enjoying every waking moment of him bitching at the ref. Like, guys, I don't think you understand how much I love watching him sit there after he throws up garbage because that's essentially what he did. He just wanted to get his arm wrapped up to where he can flail and that whistle be blown. Like, I laugh so hard. When I see him do it now, and when I saw him do it against Miami a couple of days ago to the point where he did it a couple of times, and one time in particular, it was on Bam. And legitimately, Bam is just sliding, and James went out of his way with his opposing arm to grab Bam, pick the ball up, and then throw it all in the air. And the referee is just like, like, play on, and James is just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, no, James, I'm not kidding you. Get your ass back on defense. James is averaging like a career low, like 17 and a half or 19 points per game. Like, it shows the man led the league in free throw attempts for the last three seasons because of this shit. It really goes to show what players are actually good. And like, you know, like we're, we're literally piggybacking off of these shit calls. And I'm just throwing it out there. I know I'm a Mavericks fan. Luka Doncic it's not having the best efficiency in terms of the season just yet. But him doing what he used to do in terms of jumping into contact as well as Trey Young, that is now over also. So super, super happy that these NBA referees are finally putting their feet down to the point where they're saying, you have to earn a foul. Like the old days, drive, contact, let me get hit. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, they still call the hand checks and shit, but it's making life a little bit easier as a defender. I'm telling you, bro, I saw that, that, that game, that live game where, where Josh had his hands behind his back. I turned the game off. I couldn't watch the game. I was like, bro, this is, this, this is the fear, not because of your skill, but because of not wanting to put you at the free throw line. And I think that that right in there should have been a sign. What was that, two, three years ago? Josh Hart's been on the Pelicans for two seasons now. I think that that was three years ago,
0: right? Yeah, because he got traded, I think it was, uh, was it 20, 2019? When
1: Lonzo, yeah, when Lonzo got sent because he was in the package.
0: Yeah, but like the one thing like I really kind of focus on this is that I think the NBA just let that go for years was because they just allowed just offenses just, just run rampant with it. and And that's really kind of the focal point is like, Okay, the NBA has become so offensively centric or it's become so centric around offense that when it comes to def- like when it comes to defense, why even defend anymore? Because if you're going to get a foul call from literally just breathing on the guy. What's the point of playing defense? You know, and I'm kind of glad that they finally, you know, kind of righted these wrongs as far as the the, the foul calls go because you know, it actually allows the defenders to somewhat defend without constantly getting like in fear of like oh my god if I just even like hit the guy like wrong I'm gonna get a foul call so you know granted it's not all the way back to what I wanted because like for me for me personally I want to see hand checking again I mean I don't believe that hand checking is as a foul by any stretch of the imagination unless it's just like an outright shove right but, but but for me no I think the NBA the rules committee they they got this one right and you know Granted, you know, there's a lot of things that sometimes the NBA doesn't get right. But on this one, I I have no complaints with this one. They got this one well,
1: well, well overdue. Well, well, well overdue. I I do think, though, the combination of the rule change and the changing of the NBA ball to the Wilson ball has been a detrimental um, kind of like uplift or uproar in the NBA because you're not only complaining now about the actual ball itself in terms of grip and weight or whatever the hell people are complaining about. Now you're also throwing into the fact that people can't even take advantage of the things that they're used to. Offensive stars are in an uproar right now. I mean, like for God's sakes, Trey Young's bitching about everything lately. I mean, all of these players you, are like just feel you, the you, same. It's not the same you, that it used to be. Ugh.
0: And you know what? Oh, well, get over he's it. Get used to it, bro. Get yeah, used to it. Bro, like you make millions of dollars on top of it. you going to bitch over a basketball being a little bit different, not feeling the same as what it used to, or you're going to bitch about not getting the foul calls that you used to, even though that the foul calls that you used to get were BS to begin with. Bro, I don't have time for that. If I yeah. were like the NBA rules committee, I'd be like, bro, I'm like, I don't want to say that you're soft, but it's like, bro, get over it. The ball like,
1: one I will give, the ball one I will give. They can just adjust, they can they adjust can to that. They can adjust. But that NBA Spalding ball has been the same for God knows how long. That's true. So That's true. when you literally are putting that ball up all day, shots in practice, shots in practice, shot, and then you switch like but, this, that okay. is a very big adjustment. Because again, we're not professionals; we don't know I don't, the feel of this ball. I know a Wilson. I'm ball. Taught, we don't know the game. The, an NBA game ball is a lot different than what we see at a store at Dick's Sporting Goods because it's a different feel. It's a different make versus what an NBA Wilson ball is. I don't even know if an NBA Wilson ball existed because we were always able to buy the ninety dollar NBA Spalding ball. So I don't know if the NBA has ever actually put that out for sale. So again, well, I'm not going to sit here and tell you a professional in a craft, a professional in a field Mm -hmm. is wrong for saying that the tool that they use feels different. I'm not going to go out there and say that it's the reason why you're shooting significantly less from the field. No, but it does play a toll into making a difference in an NBA season, but it's it's the beginning. So,
0: but it's like, they knew that it was coming though. It's not like they just came out of left field. like, Oh yeah, we're going to, we're we're going to switch this without even telling you guys, you know, they knew that this was coming. I mean, all you got to do is just go into your summer training camp and just like, okay, if we're going to be doing the Wilson ball instead of the Spaulding ball, we'll just train with that then. You know, you basically take the whole summer to get adjusted or acclimated to that ball and you'll be fine. Yeah. Or at least, you know, you know, you have a head start instead of just going into training camp, you know, adjusting to that Wilson ball instead of the Spaulding ball. It's like, you know, it'll be fine. By the end of the season, you think people are going to be really bitching about this?
1: No, at the end of the season, no. But again, with everything culminated together, it's kind of like, well, shit, everything's going wrong. But again, it is what it is. I'm just happy basketball's back. Obviously, there's a lot of things happening in the league right now. You know, um, you know, the Warriors are still doing what they need to do without Clay coming back. Um, the Jazz are dominating. The Bulls are playing well. I mean, you name it, there are just a lot of teams that are playing really good basketball. And Kyle and I will get into it. A deeper discussion the closer we get towards the middle of the year or if not the quarter of the year we're still very 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 early on and we want we're
0: not even 10 games in
1: we want to let the season play out before we start doing game by game analysis the nfl is different i know i've heard a lot of guys ask me like why don't you do more nba breakdowns like guys i don't think you realize there's an nba game every day even if it is three or four we record two or three times a week i know kyle does a lot of individual segments in between his work and, uh, you know, having some days off. But usually our big content is, of course, any big, big, big NBA games. But of course, the NFL, because we're covering predictions and then postgame uh, analysis. And at that point on those two days, like on a Thursday and a Sunday, there really isn't a lot of stuff to talk about other than big NBA news um, like uh, the Suns owner. But, you know, there's little things like Zion being out for two to three weeks. People are bro. making fun of him saying he's out because of fat. I find that to be absolutely hysterical.
0: Bro, bro, bro have you seen him?
1: The, he's absolutely obese. And I'm not saying that to be disrespectful by any means. No, he's like, just no, he's no, no, huge.
0: No, dude. He's – they got to fix that. He's got to fix I don't
1: it. know if they're going to fix that. Supposedly, from what I've been reading, there is a lot of bad things going on in New Orleans to where they're talking about cleaning house. Josh Hart is on the trade block because of his flexibility in his contract. I mean, for God's sakes, people are not happy with how they're handling the Zion situation. Brandon Ingram wants out. It's bad.
0: Bro, Lonzo got out at a good time.
1: Lonzo knew it was coming. That's why. Oh, oh.
0: But, bro, I saw the picture of him. in war- I saw the video of him in warm-ups. Dude, he's like 325. Dude, shout out he to like-
1: Zion, though, for wearing the anime outfit. That fit was fire.
0: Bro, he- He, like, legitimately – I'm not saying this to be, like, disrespectful. I'm not, like, fat shaming the guy. But it's, like, he looks like an offensive lineman out there. He looks big, bro. Not healthy big either. Like, he's nowhere near game shape. Nowhere. What are you going to do? That's not our problem. That's David Griffin. And Zion's an exciting player. He is. But, bro, oh, my – yeah, well, that's bro, bro, that's
1: bro, uh, we said. I, well, at least I said it that bro, he, he was not going to last very long in the league look, look, if he didn't cut it
0: out. Listen, bro, Zion. I get it, man. I know that gumbo would be good, bro. But you got to, man. We gotta we gotta integrate some other stuff in there, man.
1: You, know, hey, you, you need make, a health, You need a healthier hey, diet, bro. bro.
0: Hey, bro. Have you ever had the uh, the beignets? No. Oh, dude, it, beignets with like uh, you get the, uh, the hell is that? Sugar hell is that after we're done recording you're gonna have to look this up because beignets are fire my guy i imagine he's been snacking on those too i don't blame him from that i I know
1: new orleans got some fire cultural food i know for a fact
0: their food is fire bro those beignets though they be smacking. i believe Uh, you uh, i'll show you after we're done but uh kev you good Bro, represent? I'm
1: I'm I'm exhausted. The fact that we recorded this late is all my fault because the Colts played tonight, guys. Oh, so game. of course, I, I, I had to watch as much of it as I could, and I still left before the damn third quarter ended. But got home late, so we're recording late. It shows the dedication. But again, as always, um, in terms of wrapping this up, thank you guys so much. I mean, the continued success of this podcast has just continued to grow. I mean, it's been. It's, Kyle, I don't even have words to be honest with you oh, We I, had, I legit...
0: you had like 50 subs in like two weeks
1: hey guys, so for those of you that are new Welcome to the podcast Welcome to the family Welcome to this entire nuance that we're creating here This culture that we're providing
0: Yeah, welcome to our home Welcome to our home You know, we,
1: uh, we appreciate the support If you're, uh, you know, an original or, you know, an OG as we like to say We could thank you for your continued support We're going to continue to expand, obviously, the growth of the podcast in terms of viewership and subscribers is going up, but we're looking to expand on social media platforms. We're consistently using our Twitter. Um, We're going to start implementing the use of our Instagram just a bit more, just because we feel like we haven't really been able to leverage that platform much. We've mentioned TikTok several times. It's, It's really hard to figure out how to go and put pieces of what we do here on TikTok because we don't want a, to do the five to ten minute TikToks. So we want a quick sixty second tippet. It just it, it would take too long to break that all down. Um, so, it's Kyle and I of, have been a, re- really thinking about it.
0: It's a lot of time to edit that too. You know, it, it's one thing that like to chop down the, the the segments just for for YouTube, but you know when it when it comes to TikTok, we would have to like devote just like literally like you know minute to two minute segments just for TikTok. That would have to be a separate record, a separate uh, recording, just for TikTok.
1: And it's, and it's really hard to get the authenticity behind it, because well, when we watch games live or when we're giving you updates on these late night games or just bullshitting and laughing, you know what I mean? Some of these hot takes that we have, believe it or not, we have taken a lot of these over and over and over because we just are cracking up. Um Maybe some of those can hit TikTok, but again, a lot of times we're just kind of like throwing that out. I mean, yes, it's recorded, but um again, we don't want to like fake what we're doing here. We want this to be as a hundred percent real as humanly possible. So again, it's in the works. We're still figuring it out. It is something that we want to tap into because we know that there is a whole lot of potential in that platform, uh, especially with the way of the world and how everything is going. So We'll keep you guys updated as always. We're literally just shy of 290 subscribers. We are just about 11, if not 10 away from 300, which was the goal to achieve by December. It is fucking November 5th. Uh, Happy 11th month birthday to Sabo. And you turn around, you're adorable. Um, It's been great. So, I mean, guys, again, we really, really appreciate it. Even if you guys are just stopping in just to kind of listen to a take or two or just a segment or two, it helps. So, you
0: know, yeah. thank you guys. Yeah. And I don't think Kevin couldn't have put it any better. So I'm just going to leave it at that. But, um, you know, once again, just, you know, appreciate you guys supporting the podcast in any way, shape or form, whether you guys watched us on YouTube or listening to us on the audio platforms. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. Um, You know, just stay tuned for next week. We'll have our episode coming out next Monday. So we'll be going over, you know, NFL week nine games, uh, we'll probably go over some of the NBA news. Um, we might retouch on that uh, Robert. I mean the uh, the Suns owner situation. If there's any developments with that. Um, oh, Kevin, before we wrap this up, how do you feel about Houston losing the uh, the World Series? Hey
1: man, shout out to the Braves, man. Fuck the Astros. You heard it here first. Here.
0: Yeah? That's all you guys say?
1: Hell yeah! I'm done with those scrubs. Three World Series appear- Three World Series appearances at one win. I think that says a lot. The Braves really deserved it. 26-year drought. I mean, happy for them. They did it without their best player, their best pitcher. City of Atlanta deserved it, man, because Lord knows the Falcons had a chance. and they
0: Bro, bro, <laughs> H- bro, Jorge Solera in that World Series was dude. Fire. Hit that moonshot over that left field wall, hit it out of the stadium with two outs on a 3-2 pitch. I put him up 3 nothing. Bro, shut that stadium down real quick. Loved it.
1: I loved um, when Solaire hit that home run in Game Six, <laughs> and all you saw was the orange towels in the background. And right when he hit that shot, it just went, oh
0: bro!" The life was sucked out, bro. And he and he pimp walked that one too. That was amazing. To. I was I was to. so happy. I was so
1: happy. It was a good day.
0: It was just a it was just a good day for Atlanta altogether. You know, big dub. Houston oh, yeah. gets the L. Even better. Exactly. But with that said, you guys, we'll wrap it up from here. You know, once again, just thank you guys for tuning in to watch the episode or listen to the episode, and we'll see you guys next week. Electrocast,
1: welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business, spanning over four decades, and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there.
0: Our guests are from the A list, the F list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear.
1: I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour.
0: Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time.